So um, today we are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6, uh, verse 19, and we'll get started. Uh, if you were with us two weeks ago, you'll remember that Matt Karsh um, taught on uh, loving your enemies, the command of Jesus to love your enemies and to pray for them, and kind of unpacked a little bit about uh, the heart behind that. And if you were here last week, you know um, that our friend Kenny Stone was here um, visiting and filling in as our entire teaching team was actually in South Africa um, this last Sunday. And... Um, he taught out of Romans. And so because our entire teaching team was um, away last Sunday, we actually decided to skip that section of the Sermon on the Mount. So you'll notice we're, we're jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount, but we just skipped like 15 or 20 verses um, that were originally gonna be taught last Sunday. We will circle back around to those verses in a couple of weeks. Um, but for now, we're gonna focus on um, Matthew 6, um, verse 19. If you are um, new to River's Edge or new to the Bible or church generally, um, we hope you feel welcome here. We're just excited to have you with us. Uh, and as a church, we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of a, a fancy, I almost think, religious way of referring to Jesus' talk on a hill uh, that he gave about the kingdom of heaven in the ancient Near East thousands of years ago. Uh, and what Jesus preached in this message is that uh, the kingdom of heaven is now available to everyone who comes to him. And so as people come to Jesus, they receive not just um, forgiveness and eternal life, as beautiful as those are, but they actually receive a whole lot more than that. They actually receive access to uh, what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. And, and it's an open door to a whole new way of living. Uh, and this isn't just any way of life. We, we're not placing Jesus on uh, the shelf with any other kind of world leader or even spiritual leader and say, okay, we have Gandhi and Buddha and Jesus and they all have different um, bits of wisdom to share with us. That's not the case. Uh, what, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount is rather than Jesus throwing out bits of wisdom for us to kind of pick through uh, at will and, and really to be discarded when, when we're not into it, rather what we see Jesus doing is unveiling to his disciples who are close to him and to the crowds, kind of the world um, that's also tuned in and listening. He's revealing to them how humanity was meant to operate all along. So, so that's, what we're, that's what we're tuning into is Jesus saying, here's what, it, here's what it was supposed to be like to be human. And we kind of have to relearn that now. So we pick up in verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and 
money. Let's pray. Jesus, um, as we um, look to you, God, for um, forgiveness, yes, for grace, for your love, yes, um, but also for a new way of life, would you open up our minds, God? Would you open up our hearts to actually understand things from your perspective? Uh, as we unpack uh, words that were spoken thousands of years ago, would we see the way that they intersect um, deeply with our lives and our perspective? And would you transform us uh, as we gather around your word and look to you and, and ask to be filled with the spirit of God? Would you empower us to actually have the perspective that you're talking about here? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you've been with us um, the last couple weeks and really the last couple months uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we've been hit with a number of difficult and convicting topics. And it turns out that Jesus uh, actually has something to say about the way that we live. And if we aren't accustomed to hearing it, it might actually feel like Jesus has too much to say about the way that we live. Uh, far from being outdated or irrelevant, uh, I've found that the Sermon on the Mount has been almost too relevant to my life, if there is such a thing. And that too often, though thousands of years removed, I fall squarely under the teachings of Jesus. And as I've been studying these things week in and week out, I often feel that I'm on the wrong side of Jesus' teachings and the way that he's asked us to live. And this week uh, is no exception. This week, Jesus is tackling the issue of money and, and really of, of worship and kind of of worship of, of money. And his basic point is incredibly simple. When it comes to treasure, when it comes to worship, you cannot serve both God and money. And so at first glance, it, it couldn't really be uh, any more simple. And just like the command to love your enemies that we looked at two weeks ago, by taking 30 minutes to kind of dissect and unpack the words of Jesus, we actually risk overcomplicating um, what's a very simple and very profound point. And yet, the implications of these verses are profound and worthy of a few minutes of exploration together. And so sort of a square one for understanding Jesus' uh, teaching today is recognizing that humans uh, tend to assign value to things and then be drawn to valuable things. And so each of us, as we navigate through life, has to actually decide uh, what we're going to assign value to. And there's certain things that human beings are kind of predisposed, and we have a tendency uh, of assigning value to certain things over others, but that doesn't make us right. And Jesus is going to point out that sometimes you actually assign too much value uh, to the wrong things as you navigate through life. And so when it comes to money or material wealth, human beings um, tend to assign, uh, especially American human beings, tend to assign an artificially high value to material wealth and finances. And so without, from a very young age, without even realizing what we're doing or stopping to consider the full implications, um, we assign these values. And then Jesus comes along in, into that world where we've already pre-assigned our values. And, and he says, hey, I'm inviting you back into true worship of the Father, your, your creator, your designer. 
the one who's coming to redeem the universe and, and usher in resurrection. You were actually wired to, to design, uh, designed and wired to, to know him, to follow him, to receive from him. And, and I'm inviting you back to worship of the Father, as the scriptures say, in spirit and in truth, genuinely with, quote, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you do that, you open yourself up to receive from God. You open yourself up to, to a mutual loving relationship of love and respect and trust that allows you to actually receive and believe in faith uh, in, in the resurrection of Jesus and the receiving of forgiveness and the receiving of eternal life that God will actually act on the promises that he's given us. Okay, so that's the invitation. And in a sense, that's one way of stating kind of the goal um, that, that Jesus is inviting us into to live in the inbreaking kingdom of heaven that is now available through Jesus. But Jesus says, this isn't gonna be a walk in the park. This is not going to be easy. The crowds will not be walking in the same direction that you are. And there are going to be a whole ton of distractions that are going to seek to derail you along the way that threaten to keep you from life with God. You will be tempted, Jesus says, to actually worship other things aside from the Father and to place foreign objects on the throne of your heart, so to speak. Uh, to, to worship those things instead of God. And this is not only possible, as we'll see through teach, Jesus' teachings, um, it's actually highly likely that, that the fullness of your faith is going to be threatened and compromised uh, and, and sabotaged by some kind of foreign object that you choose to worship in God's place. And one of the greatest threats to living the, the, the God-saturated, the Jesus-centered life is love of money. And, and in fact, to kind of borrow on the words that Jesus is saying, it's actually the, the worship uh, of, of money. And, and this is, there's a few idols in America um, that are not, not exclusively American, but are kind of exaggerated within our culture. I, I would say that this is our biggest cultural idol is the love of money. It's, it's our biggest obstacle in taking hold of all that God has for us. And so Jesus is saying, if you worship money and you follow God at the same time, there will be a point when those two paths naturally diverge. And it might be early in your walk and it might be further down the road, but at some point, the demand of, of money and, and worshiping that and the demands of God, at some point they're gonna diverge. There's gonna be a fork in the road. And, and Jesus is essentially standing at the fork in the road saying, hey, I, I want you to, to, to listen to me, to follow my voice, follow me. I, I want you to step off of that other path and, and continue to walk. And I have so much more to give you. I have so much more to show you, but you have to follow me. You cannot let the love of money overrule the call of Jesus on your life. Jesus is saying, I, I, I want you to give me the last word, not money. I want the last word in your life. And so if all you care about is money, there will be entire spiritual continents which you are unable to explore. You, you, you cannot go there. You cannot follow Jesus to those places. You're, you're going to miss out in a sense. In fact, Jesus warns, if you let love of money consume you, 
then it will actually keep you from the kingdom of God. And I'm talking about both senses of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that's now breaking in right here and right now in and through Jesus and that eternal place that God will establish for his people for all eternity. The kingdom of God in both senses, your access to those is threatened by your love of money. I want you to listen to this. Uh, This is a story that's recorded later in Matthew, in Matthew 19. It says, just then a man came to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then Come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And I want to read that last line again. Because this flies in the face of everything that we believe about the good life. When the young man heard this, heard this, the call to to, to radical generosity and obedience following Jesus into the unknown, He went away sad because he had great wealth. When this young man stood face to face with Jesus, he sensed something profound. I I, I think he actually believed Jesus. I I think he had that sense this guy is the real deal. This guy has access to, to eternity. I I think he believed Jesus. I think he sensed that Jesus loved him. I I think he sensed the love and the grace and the compassion and the invitation and he wanted it, but he ends up walking away sad. Why is he sad? Because he senses that Jesus is the way to life but Jesus doesn't have the last word in his life. His wealth does. His his money, his financial decisions overruled the call of Jesus. Why? Because human beings assign value to things and then chase after valuable things. And, what, and what's Jesus saying in all this? He's saying, you've misdiagnosed the whole issue. You've placed a disproportionately high amount of value on something that's going to expire. If you place your, your, your hope, your, your, your desire is set toward, if a pile of money is what's sitting on the throne of your heart, or even the vague future hope that one day you'll have a pile of money, When you've placed that on the throne of your heart, you've swept Jesus out the door as you've done that. You've compromised the call. You've prioritized stuff that isn't even going to last. You've given the last word 
to a bunch of stuff that's going to expire in a few years. Or, or I guess more accurately, we're going to expire in a few years. And, and you can't take your stuff with you. And, and so there's this sense for all of us in which we only have a few years left on earth. And when that time is up and you pass from this place into the next place, I'm going to suggest that Jesus is going to be standing there w- with a match in his hand and, and a smile on his face. He's going to say, okay, you ready? Let's, let's light it up. And, and everything that you stored up for yourself on earth, it all stays behind. It's, it's all going to burn. You can't take it with you. It, it gains you nothing in the kingdom of heaven. And so what happens is um, that those who have oriented their entire lives around that stuff to the exclusion of Jesus' call, if they enter the kingdom at all, by God's grace and by his mercy and by the cross, uh, they will arrive in that place to find that they aren't in charge anymore. That they bet on the wrong things. And that all of those people who followed Jesus in obedient poverty are actually going to be first in entering the kingdom. And they're going to lead a procession entering the kingdom of heaven and receive a stunning inheritance from Jesus. And there will be those who were first, according to the systems in this world, according to their ability to accumulate wealth for themselves in this world to the exclusion of Jesus, who if they enter that, they're going to be last. And and that's going to be shocking for a lot of people, but it shouldn't be because Jesus already told us in advance what's going to happen. How hard it is, Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh man, is it hard because wealth has power. It has gravity. It calls to us with authority and demands that we do what's best for its sake. And and if we let it, it will consume us. And all of a sudden we end up serving money and not God. And what a sad, sad trade we've made at that point. We, we think we're free. We're not free. We're, we're, slave. we're enslaved to something other than God. And, and as we sit there and, and our eyes are consumed with the idol that sits on the throne of our heart, that begins to, to permeate the rest of our being. So your eyes are like the lamp of your body. What, what your eyes, the eyes of your heart are fixated on, it's going to echo into the rest of you. And if it's not Jesus, then your body, your eyes are going to be filled with darkness. And and slowly over time, you're actually going to become numb to the things of God. You're going to become blind to the things of God. And and as soon as you're blinded to the things of God, it's only going to be harder to trust him. 
you're only gonna place more trust in, in, in money and financial resources. And suddenly, in, in subtle, slow ways, uh, money takes that spot. And you say, I trust in wealth. That's the cornerstone of my life. That's the trustworthy thing that I can count on. Not God, not Jesus, whatever he's up to. I, you, you don't even have a sense of who Jesus is and what he's up to in the world. Jesus says, your body it, it is filled with darkness. And then in our darkness, as Jesus comes to us to offer us freedom and a new way of life, what we, what we see and sense in our darkness is that God is now a threat to the very cornerstone of our lives. The thing that we trust in our lifeblood, our money and financial resources, God is now seen as an outside threat to, to, to our lifeblood, to our cornerstone, to the thing that we trust in. And God says, I want you to trust me more than you trust in money. And in our idolatry, we do the exact opposite. We hold God at arm's length. We we fail to trust him. We fail to invite him in. We refuse to trust him. We refuse to let him in. We refuse to give him the last word precisely because he's become a threat to our idol. In our consumeristic culture, the church is losing its ability to to talk about money with any sense of authority because people will just walk away. We want power, we want control, we want stability, we want whatever resources we can hold on to. And, And God, if the church is gonna talk about it, if Jesus is going to talk about that, well, then he's nothing more than a threat to my well-being and and, and my life and my everything that I've built my life around. He just wants to take my power. He just wants to take my control. He just wants to take my life from me. Most of you know uh, that I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I I actually grew up self-identifying as an atheist. And so until about 19 or 20 years old, I just saw myself as an atheist. God wasn't in the picture at all. He did not exist. In fact, I I thought that for sure. Uh, And so the church uh, was in in essence, just an institution in my mind that was full of lies and superstition. They, they, um, like any human institution, I thought for sure they're just after money and power because that's what human institutions are after. And, and they're willing to, to propagate this improbable stuff. At worst, they're willing to brainwash people as a means of maintaining this system of, of power and, and wealth and control to maintain their own existence. They, they have to keep propagating that, that ancient, weird, outdated stuff. And, and that's about where I was when Jesus got a hold of me. Why he even wanted to do that, I don't know, um, but he did. Um, and, and he got a hold of me and he started to change my thinking from the ground up and from the inside uh, out. And, and God was patient with me and gentle with me as I was slowly learning to kind of walk in the ways of Jesus and figure out what it looked like to follow him. Uh, but over time, as I started to grow in my faith, one of the things that God laid on my heart was giving. And, and it kind of got to the point where God was saying, uh, in essence, uh, okay, you, you can't be skeptical of the church forever. And here I am like a pastor. This is it's weird that I'm here doing this. But he, said, he was telling me, hey, you, you can't be skeptical of the church forever. In fact, now that you belong to me, you're part of the church. Capital C, the, the, you belong here. 
You're part of the very thing that you're still afraid of and still skeptical of. And God was telling me, hey, I want you to start participating. I want you to start growing in the ways that you serve. I want you to start growing in the ways that you give. And they used to pass the buckets around at this church, the first church that I, that I started going to after I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, and I'll never forget. And it was every time I was just like, no, 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 not for me, not for me. I'll never forget the first time that I felt like God was challenging me to, to drop $20 in. And for a college student, I was like, $20, that's a lot of money. Um, and, and I remember like sitting there and holding it and thinking, I don't, I have so many reasons not to do this. I, I don't want to do this but I sense this is what God is asking me to do. And I remember dropping it in for the first time and, and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, ha- having this sense of, of freedom. Uh, almost like this bond that I had w- with money w- was slowly being loosened. Like this, these, these chains w- were slowly being uh, undone. And, and then over time, God started to teach me more about giving and generosity. And I still have a long way to go. But the more that, that he was leading me to give, the, the more freedom I felt. But that, that's what this is all about. Jesus, Jesus looks in on our idolatry and, and our skepticism and, and our tight fist. And he says, enough. I, I, I want you to be free. I want you to, to be a human being as God intended in the beginning. I, I want you to be fully, fully functional, living, breathing, thriving children of God, deep down in your bones. And, and you can't do that if you're enslaved to money. You're not free. Don't, don't compartmentalize your life, God is saying. I, I want all of you. I want every compartment of your life. I want all of who you are. I want all of you to be free. You see, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I'm actually glad that the church isn't like fully funded by some outside source or by the government or, or something like that. Because if it was, um, we wouldn't take tithes and offerings here if we were fully funded. Uh, and, and if we didn't do that, I think we'd be missing something. We'd be missing out on something and we wouldn't be missing out on a chance to, to, to steal power or money or authority from other people. We'd be missing out on a weekly opportunity for God to shape our character and, and cultivate uh, generosity. And most of our, our young people are not here this Sunday. They're out for spring break. But can I just say while they're away that I am so glad that the young people in this church have the families and couples that, that we have here to look to as an example. My, my wife and I, we're, we're being challenged in our generosity. We're growing in our generosity, but, but our inspiration uh, actually comes from the other couples and families that are here. Some of whom are here today and some of whom are not here today. But if, but if you're a young person going to this church or listening to the podcast or whatever, um, I, I want you to model your behavior and your giving and your sense of freedom off of the couples and families that we have here because they are incredibly generous and and. God's doing beautiful things in and through them and their generosity here. You would not, you would not believe some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. That this community it is and is becoming a place of freedom. And that's what Jesus is after. The world says 
that you will find freedom in revenge, that you will find freedom in unleashing your anger and an eye for an eye and in committing adultery because that's what your desires tell you to do and in dominating others through manipulation and using your power and your wealth and your superior reputation. That's what the world calls freedom. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, no, 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 you will find freedom in forgiveness. You will find freedom in mercy and in generosity and in faith and in trusting in your father in heaven. That's where freedom is found. And so as a community, we want to have almost a healthy fear. Fear isn't the right word, but we almost want to have a healthy fear of wealth because just like revenge, just like bitterness, just like self-centeredness, just like the impulse to manipulate, just like the desire to commit adultery, all of them have the power to derail us if we allow them to do that. And and so we watch ourselves, we we examine our hearts, we don't allow the love of money to, to overtake us, to hijack what God is trying to do in our lives. And and this doesn't mean, I have to clarify this, this doesn't mean that we don't work hard or that we don't aim to make money. Please, please don't misunderstand the words of Jesus. It it doesn't mean that you don't save for a home, for retirement, to pay off the ridiculous student loans that most of us have. It it doesn't mean that you don't work hard and and accumulate money. In, In having wealth is not an inherently bad thing. Jesus is not down on on having a lot of money. I, I know plenty of wealthy people who are fully follow, following Jesus. I know millionaires who are following Jesus and, and they give Jesus the last word, the, the final word on, on where that wealth goes and what happens to it. There's nothing wrong with working hard. The scriptures actually say you are to work hard. You're to provide for your family. You're to make wise investments. You're to save well. You're, you're to plan for your future. You're not to squander what God gives you. And the scriptures say, we are to trust God more than we trust our money. And and we are to see our money as a malleable gift from God that's entrusted into our hands, but ultimately is subject to his will and, and his direction for his good purposes. And it really comes down to trust, doesn't it? I mean, as I've been wrestling through this, I think the reason this is so hard for me it is trust because part of me is convinced that if I give complete surrender to God, complete control over, my, over finances and financial decisions, part of me is worried that, that God's gonna pull, pull a Jesus with, with a rich young ruler. And he's gonna say, all right, you surrendered. I want you to give away all of your stuff and I want you to, to go live in the slums in Mumbai and just trust me for daily provision and I'll, I'll bring you daily bread. And of course our families are gonna be there cursing us for what we've done and begging for food as they try to learn Hindi or whatever, okay? <laughs> so that, 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 that's the way that plays out in my mind. I can't trust God. Isn't that the fear somehow? I can't trust God because if I truly surrender to him and my finances, he's going to make my life miserable. We don't say it out loud like that, but sometimes that's functionally what we believe. 
And, and, and God's saying, seriously? D- do you know how much I love you? I, I love you more than you love yourself. That's a lot. I, I, I care for you and your provision as m- more than you do. It, trust me. Do you trust that, that I have a better view of this life and eternity than, than you do? Are you willing to trust me? And functionally, we, we, we say, no, I, I know better. I, I, I can't trust you with my finances and I don't want to move to India. You know, that, that, that's, the, that's the fear. First off, can I just say that in my decade of following Jesus, I've never uh, seen God ask somebody to do that. He might ask you to loosen your grip on your wealth. He might ask you to be more generous. Uh, He might change the way that you think about wealth and the way that you think about your home and the way you think about what are those things for, the way you think about, hey, what is the good life? He might shift your thinking, transform your thinking in in all of those ways, but you have to trust him. You, You have to trust that God actually has a better life plan for you than you would plan for yourself. If you are the one in a million that God's going to say, I literally want you to sell everything and and move to Mumbai. If you were that person, you would have to trust that 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 God would meet you there in new and fresh and incredible ways. And that by the time you got there, you would never go back. Do do we actually trust in, in, in what he is doing? Jesus is saying, hey, don't arrive at the kingdom of God, the final full kingdom of God, only to find out that you're truly broke. I, I, I want you to live in such a way that you generate for yourselves incorruptible treasure in heaven. There is a social order to this world, a hierarchy based on how much money and power we can accumulate for ourselves, but there is a new kingdom coming. And and it is an upside down kingdom, the dawn of a new age and a new order that doesn't look anything like this one. And when that day dawns, we're going to be shocked to find that the people who who were last in this world are are right there at the front. Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's gonna be people on, on the other end who were first in this world and the top of the charts and had more wealth and power and reputation than anybody else. And, and they're going to be last. And I pray they're not outside. I pray they're inside. But even if they're in, they're, they're going to be at the back. And Jesus is saying, trust me. I, I want you to trust me. And, and as you trust in me, I'm going to learn to trust in you. And, and those who I can trust with a little, I can trust with a lot. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's $20 that I was struggling to give or if it's $20 million. E- either way, God's going to say, can I trust you with this? Can, can I trust that you're going to use this amount in, the, the, in a way that reveals a kingdom heart posture, in, in a way that, that glorifies me, in a way that demonstrates your trust in me and allows me to place greater trust and greater responsibility in you. So we just end with that really simple question this morning. Does Jesus have the last word?
Because if money rules, then you'll buy clothes that you know were made in sweatshops or by slaves because it's cheaper or it's more in style. But if God rules, he'll lead you in another direction, in the direction of creativity, of equality, of quality over quantity. And if money rules, you might buy the nicest house and the nicest car you can possibly afford, or even the one you can't afford for all of the wrong reasons. And then after you do throw up your hands and say, oops, sorry, no, nothing left to be generous. Not with the church, not with others, not with my own children. No generosity here. It, it's locked up somewhere else. But if God's involved in an active day-to-day guidance, he's going to guide you in another direction. The, the, the outworkings of today's teachings uh, involve a, a larger, converse, larger conversation on, on generosity and consumerism and spending habits and loving your neighbors, even the distant ones who are enslaved or in sweatshops and loving the planet, all of God's creation here in Spokane and around the world and, and giving to God what belongs to God in generosity with the church and with others and and rethinking wealth and rethinking our homes and what what we have control over, that's a larger conversation that that we each have to work out in our own lives and in our missional communities and, and all of it. And you can make money. You can make tons of money if, if that's what God's calling you to. You can make millions. Fantastic. Please tithe. That was a joke. But, but even if you do, Jesus is saying, never, never give it your heart. Don't you dare sell out. I don't care if you have $20 or 20 million. Don't think for a moment. You don't have to have money to worship money. Don't, don't think for a moment that you can worship money and not miss out on what God's doing. Don't think for a moment you can be consumed by the love of money and not forfeit your place in the kingdom. Wake up. Don't you dare let any amount of wealth or any hope of future wealth blind you from the call of Jesus to live a compelling, generous life. Don't let it cost you the kingdom. Give Jesus the last word. And and you will have a greater inheritance in the kingdom of heaven than you can possibly imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, as we um, are are hearing your words, as we're hearing what hopefully I discern is your your heart behind these statements in in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I don't think I'm alone in, in feeling shaken by them, uh, in, in feeling challenged um, by them. And, and yet, God, we, we want to press forward into what it is that you have for us. And so, um, God, we just want to, as simply as we can, in childlike simplicity, we just want to say yes to you. And we trust you. We're learning to trust you. Help us trust you more that you're not going to make our lives miserable and that you're not out to make some hor- horrific example of us, but, but that you want to guide us in, in ways that lead to life. And so rather than comparing side to side with people who, f- who don't follow you or even people who do, 
And Jesus, we wanna be people who discern each one of us for ourselves what it is that you have uh, for us. And, and we do this, we're pressing forward because we trust you and, and we, sense, we sense your love for us. We sense that you actually want what's best for us when we look at this life and eternity. And, and, and we're desperate for that. We're, we're desperate to be free from our idols. We're desperate to be free at last, to see the, the world as you see it, to see eternity stretching out before us as you see it. God, would you open our eyes to that? And as we set our eyes on eternity, as we give you permission to have the last word, would we find a freedom and a joy that no amount of money could gain for us? That no amount of consumerism could gain for us? That no amount of financial security, we have a greater security in you than we could possibly find in our finances. So Jesus, would you bring us to life in, in, in that way? Not that we would be people who hang our heads and, and give out of some strange sense of guilt, but be people who lift our eyes and see a generous God hanging on a cross for our sake, giving everything for us and wanting to give us even more than we have now. So we just say, yes, Jesus. We open ourselves up to what it is that you wanna do. Would you shape each one of us? Would you shape this community in, in small ways and in big ways? Jesus, make us free. In your name, amen.